How do you get a piece of the political voiceover pie? You're a voice actor. You're an entrepreneur. You're a VOpreneur. Welcome to the Everyday VOpreneur Podcast, your guide through the business of voiceover. Every voice actor's favorite part of voiceover is being in the booth recording, obviously. But if you want to spend more time in the booth, you actually need to spend more time marketing because the marketing is what is going to get you the opportunities. Now, if you need help with that side of things, you need VOpreneur.com. It is your online hub for all things voiceover marketing, including the podcast, video content, live streams, premium courses, and coaching. Everything you need, your guide through the business of voiceover. It's at VOpreneur.com. The Veopreneur Podcast. Hey, it doesn't suck. Not as funny as Conan. Not as cute as Seth Meyers. Not as smart as Colbert. But he's one of us, and that counts for something. Here's Mark Scott, the original everyday VOpreneur. Does the election cycle ever even end anymore? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but maybe that's why political voiceover has become such a popular genre among talent looking to cash in while also lending their voice to issues and or candidates they support. Now, to help us navigate this potentially lucrative genre is the person who helps lead the political roster for the VO Chateau, Celia Siegel Management. Welcome to the show, Aya Mariamu. Did I get it right? Aya Mariyama, but it's okay. Mariyama. See, I knew I was going to get it wrong. (laughs) It doesn't really bother me that much. That intro was so great. I don't want you to have to redo it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm looking forward to having a a conversation and learning a little bit about this. I got to tell you, I asked around because I don't do political voiceover, so I'm not really familiar with it. So I was asking around a lot, trying to figure out who could I have on the show to discuss it. And your name came up so many times from so many people, (laughs) like you were the most recommended person to have on for this. So uh, let's start with a little bit of backstory. How did you become the go-to person for, uh, I guess, all things political in, in voiceover? Yeah, so I think the talent might be the better people to ask for that. But when I started with Celia Siegel Management in 2020, um, we kind of knew that political was going to be a big genre. It felt a little untapped. It didn't feel like very many agents or production houses or rosters were really understanding how many billions of dollars were being spent in the political industry. And we're like, Hey, like, let's just dive in and see what we can do here. I want a piece of that pie. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so we started investing in the conferences and going and meeting with these political consultants and agencies, uh, just reaching out and becoming friends with these people and being like, Hey, like we have, voice actors who are really passionate about politics like how can we be a partner for you so that you guys can have professional voice actors helping to deliver these messages uh, whether for a candidate or issues or legislative ballots initiatives advocacy programs uh yeah just to name a few so does the election political cycle ever end then you seem like the the qualified person to answer that question <laughs> Yeah, I think more and more it's becoming a year-round thing. I mean, obviously with the midterms and the presidential cycles, uh, those even years seem to be a lot, lot busier. You know, even this last midterm cycle, you know, I had clients calling me on weekends and 6 a.m. in the morning and also 2 a.m. in the morning. You know, it's kind of an all-around-the-clock deal, especially in those few months leading up to November. 
Um, but even in the off cycle, like there are a lot of down ballot initiatives. There are a lot of smaller races going on and they all need voiceover too. So it really is becoming more and more all around the clock instead of uh, in these political seasons, political years. I picture this group of people sitting in a dark room 24 hours a day, seven days a week, watching their, what do you call it, competitors, their opponents, social medias, waiting for them to say something stupid so that they could be like, we got to turn that into an ad immediately. We need that on the air tonight. Absolutely. That's kind of how it is. You yeah. know, that's why um, we kind of call the political voiceover round like the if promo is the golden handcuffs, you know, political is probably the silver handcuffs. I've had people pull over on the side of the highway to record a spot because they need to ship it out in two hours to respond right. to this thing that somebody else said, you know, so um, it really so, does require like a passion and a kind of on the ball type of attitude. So that brings up uh, something that I, I think we should probably discuss then with, with regards to political. I want to try to figure out what is the ideal political voiceover actor look like, but it sounds like availability and quick turnaround is going to be high on the priority list. This isn't something where it's like they send it to you and you get it back to them tomorrow afternoon or whatever. It sounds like it's, we need this now. We need this yesterday. Yes, very much so. I would yeah. say speed, availability, high quality is going to be big, you know, so people who can record on the side of the road or record in a hotel room or be available yeah. at all hours of the day, night, weekends, mornings, holidays. Um, yeah is a big factor. So the other big thing is authenticity. You know, these candidates, campaigns, politicians want someone who sounds human and who can evoke the nuanced emotions that they're trying to evoke in their copy. Um, someone who's trustworthy and credible and sounds like the people that they're trying to target. Um, so one of the big things in political that I think matters more than any other genre is like localization. So if okay. you can sound like you're from the mountains of North Carolina is one so that I just got figuring today. out regional accents or dialects yeah. or yeah. Okay. Or just advertising the ones that you do well, because those are your hometown people. Those are where your right. family lives. This is where you've spent 25 years of your life. Um, that really adds to the authenticity that these people are looking for. So having the ability to market yourself as a local talent, that's that's a value proposition in political then. I mean, I always tell voice actors when you're marketing, start kind of where you're at, be the local person, but in political even more so, right? Like I'm assuming that a candidate given the option, if they can find the right voice, they would rather find somebody that's in their district or, or at least in their state or whatever. That probably looks good ultimately for them as well, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And then for all of those voice actors who say, I never travel with gear because once I leave the studio, I leave the studio. This is not the genre for you then. You should always travel with your gear. Yeah. I, I really do think so. That's how you become the go-to person, you know, so that when they do have these things that are on a quick turnaround, they can be like, oh, so-and-so is always available. I can reach them at all hours yep. of the night. I can reach them when they're supposedly on vacation, they can pull over on the side of the road, still edit it, make it sound broadcast quality. Yep. Uh, that's definitely probably one of the number one things. I know that we had to reschedule this interview because you actually were going to a co conference. So now that you are fresh back from this this conference, uh, what, are, what are some things that you picked up? What are some things that you learned, some 
trends that you see unfolding? Like, uh, what did you pick up that you can apply to, to the voiceover side of all of this? Absolutely. So I was just at the Campaigns and Elections Creative Summit. It was interesting because this was a conference of just the creatives. There weren't pollsters, there weren't media buyers, there weren't, you know, texting companies or print companies. It was all the creative people from copywriters to videographers to editing, post, all of that. So um, I would say one of the big takeaways is the need for authenticity, the need to be a part of these campaigns brands, um, evoking that human aspect. So just like all of the other industries, AI was at the forefront of a lot of these conversations. And there were a few um, production houses, creative, uh, political creative agencies who played with it and was like, hey, here, check out this ad. You know, so we watched this 30 second ad and they were like, this entire thing was AI generated from the voiceover to the visuals, to the motion graphics, to the animation. And it was, you know, not there yet, but the whole aspect of it was like, where can we as human beings show up better than these machine learning? You know, where do our creativity in terms of copywriting, in terms of visuals, in terms of voiceover, the humanness that people bring, how, can we outmatch the growing AI industry? So the more human you can be, the more authentic, the more trustworthy, you know, it's the same thing in terms of what commercial and corporate and all these other uh, genres are leaning towards, very similar, uh, just in a different application. So I think that the biggest pitfall talent fall into is they have to put on their political voice and you know they tend to be a little more over the top they tend to be angry they tend to yell a little bit more project and it's like nobody wants to listen to somebody yelling at you you know no more announcer voices haven't we been doing that for a decade now (laughs) yeah so learning to play in the nuance and um learning how to sound disappointed or concerned or distressed or afraid if it's a negative ad and on the other side of it like how do you sound inspired and motivated and optimistic and confident and encouraging when you're trying to get people to go out and vote for this thing or this person um so leaning into the nuances of the so it really is about the acting side of things i do think so yeah which is like i've been saying for a while now if you want to ai proof your business you know you mentioned ai and all of this like your ability to act because AI can't act yet, yet being the the key word there, but it can't yet. And so if you have the ability to act, that's, that's a big difference. I think, you know, the other thing I've mentioned this before with AI, and I'm curious if you heard this at all, because you said that they were, you know, experimenting around with it, but I know it's the shiny new object right now, right? Everybody wants to play with it and see how it works and see where they can use it and where it can benefit. But I question if there comes a point where, and I think we've already started to see this to a degree where there becomes a trust issue, right? Like we already question images that we see on social media. Is this real or is this AI generated? And so if you start, and I think this would be even more true and political, you would would think anyway, that if people start questioning whether or not this is a real person or a computer generated voice, they're questioning whether or not this is a real spot or an authentic spot. And, And it creates a trust factor. And I would think that you do not, of all the places, you do not want to erode trust it would be on the political side of things. 
Absolutely. Yeah. They were talking about how the disclaimers for AI, they're trying to get like AI policies and yeah, like rules and regulations in sure. place with how AI plays with politics. And they were like, yeah, like we already think that these disclaimers that paid for by blah, 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 are long enough. Like when you have to add an AI piece to it, yeah. it gets even bigger no... to take the pack your screen. You know? Yeah, I was so... going to say, there's nowhere left for the spot to go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I do think that it's, we're pretty far away from AI taking over voiceover, particularly in the political space. You know, they really talked about it in terms of, you know, it might get harder to get into politics because all of the things that you would assign to an intern is now being done faster, quicker, better by machine learning. So they really talked about it more as a tool to expedite the processes they already have in place so they can spend more time on creative. And I think that pretty much checks out. I don't I don't think that uh, they'll be using AI voices too soon in the near future. Sure. But we have worked with a couple of political agencies who have been like, hey, will you be part of this testing? Like, we'll take one male, one female, you know, a couple different ethnicities, a couple different ages. And can we test them against the AI models? And the data that we've gotten back is there's no question that the human is better. It's just to what degree, you know, That's and encouraging. how much. Yeah how much yeah. humanness can you bring to the table? Um, well, that, yeah, that is, and that's, I think that's what it's ultimately going to come back to, right? It's, it's going to come back to that human touch. It's going to come back to that acting side and the ability to be more relatable. And then I think the trust factor is going to be a, a big part of it as well. So it's, it's good to know that that's being talked about and currently at least anyway, leaning in the favor of the human voice and, and the human voice actor. So as we head into the the presidential election cycle, I would estimate that the the sum of money that is going to be spent on campaign ads is going to fall somewhere between astronomical and ungodly. Can you can you confirm this estimate? Does that sound about right? Yes. So the number <laughs> that we kept hearing was 10 billion with a wow. B dollars in political ad spending campaigning. Um, so, so there's, so there's some money to be made there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So for the enterprising voice actors that's thinking, you know, I want to get a piece of that pie, I think there are a few things that we need to to dig into. And and I think you already touched on this partly in, you know, human conversational, authentic availability was a really big one. Let's talk about party lines. Can a voice actor in the current political climate, which is heated, shall we say, uh, can a voice actor voice for Republican and Democrat, or do you have to choose a line and stay on the side that you choose? Yeah. So we get this question a lot, um, even from our roster of talent. Um, there are people who do, there are people who are like, I am not red or blue. I am in the green party, meaning I am the party that makes the money. You know, I'm part of, it is a job, you know, I am an actor. There are a lot of people who fall in that category. Um, But I do think with how polarized this political field is and how closely knit these group of people are, when you can choose a side, I think you come out on top. Um, That's a personal opinion. But like these people pass around actors. And when, yeah, it's kind of like loving the one you're with, you know? So like if it's either the values that you personally align with, I think that's the best way to do it. That's the best way to bring authenticity. But if it's a strategic decision, as in, 
my voice sounds more like this party. So I'm going to love the one I'm with and really dive in all in with these people. Um, I think it's going to be safer. Uh, there's less risk of conflicts and getting blacklisted. You know, there's no faster way to get blacklisted in the political party than to voice two spots that are in competing markets. Um, Ooh, yeah. Okay. You know, and so if, you know, you're moving too fast and oops, but it's already run and you didn't have time to catch that mistake. Like your, your political voiceover career may very like, likely be over at that point, you know? So it wow, just yeah. creates a lot more tracking and um, another layer of complication to an already super fast moving sphere. But there are people who do it. You know, I would just say, tread carefully, um, tread carefully. Yeah. I feel like with everything you're saying from an authenticity standpoint, I mean, I realize that there are people who are, or are neutral or, you know, who lean in different directions depending on the issue or whatever, mm -hmm. but there's a part of me that feels like you can bring so much more authenticity to the, the party or the ads that align with what you stand for, what you believe in versus just voicing for the sake of voicing for the sake of money where it might be a little bit harder to come across a little bit more authentic. But then I, I think another interesting aspect of this is you mentioned the polarization. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's so crazy. Like, it's like you can't even have Republicans and Democrats in the same room anymore without somebody wanting to, you know, inflict harm upon another person. Have you experienced any situations where, because people are trying to be so cautious, like, if you find out, let's say you voice a, a, a spot for a Republican and you have a client who's a Democrat and the client finds out that you voiced a spot for a Republican, they're like, no, you're canceled, like, or vice versa, right? Because it works both ways. Are voice actors having to navigate those waters or have you not seen anything like that yet? Yeah, I mean, it has happened a couple of times with particularly polarizing political figures yep. and particularly leaning companies, you know, right. but by and large, these people are busy. They don't have time they to go time digging to through your yeah. resumes and digging um, to find this information. So we haven't found it to be a, a big deal, um, an issue for, um, for most people. It's okay. just for particularly large or uh, offensive or polarizing candidates. It has come up a couple of times. Um, they've lost clients because right. of it. But, you know, sometimes it's because they're a news company and they're not supposed to be picking one side or the other. Or they're a radio affiliate voice and they're not supposed to have one political leaning or another. Or it's for a really big kids thing like Disney or, or, or different companies like that. But by and large, these people are busy. They don't really... Uh, they don't have the luxury to go digging, you know, as long as you're available to them and you're not being a conflict in their category, in their state, in their region, that's where they care. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you feel like you've written the perfect voiceover marketing email, but you have no idea what to put in the subject line? We can fix that. I've created a resource called the Ultimate VOPreneur Subject Line Reference Guide. And it is going to take away all of the guesswork, frustration, and stress around coming up with the perfect subject line. 
Not only does this guide provide you with the number of themes that you can use to brainstorm your own subject line ideas, but it comes with 40 pre-written subject lines that you can even plug and play into your marketing emails. On top of that, it offers a number of best practices to consider when it comes to writing email subject lines. This resource is going to be a game changer for you, and the best part, it's only 27 bucks. You can purchase your ultimate subject line reference guide and get an instant download now at veopreneur.com. That's veopreneur.com. Look for the ultimate subject line reference guide at veopreneur.com. Now back to our show. So you mentioned, you know, everybody's busy. They don't have a lot of time to do a lot of digging. I'm curious. I've had instances in the past with clients, not political related, where I know that they have gone through my social media just to see, is this guy a decent guy or is he a dink? Is he, is he controversial? Does he have strong hot takes or, or whatever? And they've used that as, a, as, as part of their vetting process. Is that happening in political? Like, would you have a, a candidate look at a, a voice actor's social media to see what they're talking about and what they're saying? Because the last thing I would think that you would want is to, you know, it, it's guilt by association, right? I voice a spot for this guy and then find out that on my social media, I talk about something completely opposite to what this guy supports. And now this guy's going down in flames because of something that the voice actor said on social media or whatever. So is there, is there vetting that is going on before decisions are getting made? Yes, I would okay. say so. But usually the bigger the race, the more vetting there is. If you're doing a local spot for a mayor or a school school board official or a commissioner, they're probably not going to care as much as a big presidential one. Sure. You know, there, there are so many more checks and balances and people and resources to make sure that everything is in line and there's nothing that's going to backfire and right. bite them in the butt. Um, so, so yeah, I would say the bigger the race, the more vetting there's going to be. Okay. So it's something that voice actors should be aware of. You know, you got to yeah. be... You got to be careful what you're saying and 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 who you think you might ultimately like to work with and whether or not those things are are in alignment. Now, you talked about conversational authenticity, all of that sort of stuff and that's really what's booking, that's really what's trending, the ability to truly act and interpret a script and be able to deliver whatever the emotion is of that script. Let's take that a little bit into the political demo side of things. If you're preparing for a political demo, maybe you're, you know, you, you want to cash in on, on the opportunity that exists here. You're thinking that you want to get a demo made. What kind of stuff needs to go into a demo? I'm assuming it's that acting and, and all of that sort of thing. But is there a balance of, you know, an issue based spot versus an attack spot versus a policy spot? Or, or what are the things that we need to be thinking about if we're wanting to put together a really great political demo? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is your political demo should sound like a compilation of real political spots. Okay. So do your research. Go listen to all of these ads. Um, you can find them all over YouTube, all you know, different PACs, organizations, candidates. They're chock full of them. Um, different uh, agencies, political strategists. They love to post their work, you know, so go listen to what's actually being aired and making sure that they sound similar to that. Um, you have to remember that in the political space, you're talking to political consultants and strategists, like political people. Whereas in the commercial world, you're dealing with creatives, you're doing with filmmakers and documentary people and producers, people in the creative space. 
where it's less so in politics. You kind of have to serve them the reads that they are wanting to book on a silver platter. Um, they don't have as much imagination. They don't really have the ability to say exactly what they want all the time. Um, right. They just expect you to know and, and do what has been done or do this with a twist. So the more that your spots, your demo spots can reflect the sound field delivery of what's actually airing, the more bookable it will be. Because the other thing that you have to remember is that because of the speed of it, political books off of the demo all of the time. I okay. would say 90% of the political opportunities that come into my email are direct bookings. Like, hey, we want this person, this, and we want this read from this part of That's their fine. demo. Or here's a short list of people. We're between these three people. Can we audition them? And we'll use the audition as final. This is not a whole drawn out process right. like some of these commercial campaigns where they do a whole casting and then they do a round two and then they do some paid demos and then yep. they, you know, it's this whole process. There's no time for that. Um, so it's an investment for sure. But the fact that you don't have to waste your time auditioning is a benefit that a lot of people like. You know, I was going to say that sounds very appealing to a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of like what needs to be on there, thinking about what types of reads are booking, you know, so attack ads are, are 90. I mean, I would say at least 80% of the spots that you book. And it's a hard one because so often you spend your career Selling what's what you want someone to buy, yeah. not what you don't want someone right. to do. You know, um, so it's a skill set, a special skill for sure. But you know, negative ads for issues and candidates—they sound different. Um, positive ads for issues and candidates. Contrast ads are really popular and political. Um, you know, some people venture outside of the box and do humor, making them amusing or um, off the cuff kind of snarky funny yep. um so if you are able to do that if that's in your wheelhouse like that can be a nice bonus of something that's a little bit different but those are kind of the things that should be included let's talk about attack ads for a minute this is one of the reasons why i can't do political i'm i'm canadian and i'm too nice and i i just it makes me feel bad but is there a line on attack ads like i have heard attack ad spots on demos and I've heard some that are like, okay, this is an attack ad. And I've heard some that I was like, okay, this, this is an attack ad like 10X. And it like, it makes me feel uncomfortable to even listen to it. Is there a line that you think needs to be considered when you're putting together attack ads? Like, can you take a, an attack ad too far on your demo? I would say in a demo, yes. Um, but it depends on who your end client is. You right. know, if you are yep. really wanting to be the voice of this one candidate who is this that's what they do the or that's top yeah. extreme thing yep. and that is on brand for them that can be a signal like hey i am your person you yep. know yep. but if you're looking to have a variety of buyers which is which i think is most people you know a mix of this a couple senate races a couple gubernatorials you know some legislative down ballot things you probably don't want to go that extreme um but you know you can include a range a barometer but i would say don't go too far outside of the bounds. You don't want to alienate these people because even politicians have boundaries. <laughs> so Republican, Democrat, if you want to try to do both sides, you need a Republican demo and a Democratic demo. You wouldn't combine those two, just to be clear. 
Yes, I would keep them very separate and okay. making sure that your Republican demo is only going to your Republican buyers and your Democratic demo is going to your Democratic buyers. I would also venture to say that these should have two separate pages on your yeah. website even so that yep. your mar- your marketing is super targeted because it is like oil and water yep. out there. You mentioned a couple of different types of races that are in political. So I, I'm thinking of like in automotive, there's multiple tiers of automotive, right? There's local, there's regional, there's national. The spots sound different, feel different, and you might need different demos for each of those. When you're putting together a political, is there is there a need for different demos based on if you're trying to like if you're going smaller races versus, you know, like Congress or Senate or whatever, like or does it all fit together on one? Any thoughts on that? can all be on one demo as long as it's targeted and you have a range on there. I mean, there is a difference, you know, if you're doing a small mayoral race of in a town of 25,000 people, that sound delivery is going to be a lot different than if you're trying to reach an entire nation for a presidential race, you know, so the but even the choice of talent, um, the campaign manager, political consultant strategist is going to change there choice of voice actor, depending on the scope of the spot as well. But yeah, I don't think you necessarily need different demos for different levels of races, just knowing that there are, you know, you might want to include a local spot that brings out your local accent that sounds Georgian, right. um, but then more neutral for these bigger ones, uh, just to show that you can do anything from the small all the way up to the presidential stuff. Okay. What about life cycle? So, you know, with commercial, you know, our demos need to obviously reflect whatever's trending or whatever's booking or the read or the style and that can change. You know, sometimes it might be good for four years and sometimes it might be like this year sounds completely different from last year's. Is there a cycle for political demos? Like, do you think a voice actor should be looking at updating every so often or every so many years? Or do you have a suggestion for that? Yeah, I would say two years is kind of the max, you know, so as we're preparing for the 2024, you shouldn't have anything on your demo for candidates, people, causes that were before 2022, right? Certainly not the 2020, because so much has changed. The issues have changed. The people have changed. And these people don't have imagination. They want someone who sounds current, who sounds like they know what they're talking about. And part of that is being current in an ever evolving genre industry. Um, So yeah, I would say yeah, your spot shouldn't be more than two years old in terms of content. Okay. That's good to know. And I, you know, I never even thought about having, right. The the names of the candidates who's on your demo and are they even still in the game or, or Mm -hmm. whatever, totally something to think about with that as well. Mm -hmm. Now you're managing the political voiceover side for Celia Siegel management, judging by the number of awards that your roster talent have won in the political space, which I think might've actually just been all of the awards. That's, that's kind of how it felt. I'm curious for the voice actor who is not on the Celia Siegel management roster. Is it possible to find political voiceover work if you're not represented directly by a company like CSM? Can, can, can an independent voice actor go out and find this work or is it all agencies or agents that are getting it yeah i mean you can go out and get it you have the internet at your fingertip um so yeah managers have them uh agents have them but there are different production houses who are starting to get into political um we've seen pay to plays having an increased amount of like local regional political work 
Um, and you can reach out to these people directly. Like I've had talent be like, Hey, I really want to work on this issue because it means something to me. It's personal and reaching out to them. And they're like, yeah, like we would love to have you on board as a testimonial voice or as a this, that, or the other thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say you can go out and get your own work. Um, what are we looking for? Is it, it, we're not going to the candidate. So is it a, is it a, somebody in the in the campaign is it uh, the production company or like are there production companies that specialize in this like what how do you even start to try to find some of this stuff yeah so i would say if you're gonna go to the internet and google your heart out for political the names that you are going to be looking for the titles are political consultants political strategists uh even some campaign managers there are some political specific creative agencies so those people, whether those are the producers or the videographers, copywriters, um, uh, directors, per, head of production. So those are the ones that are coming to mind as titles for people if you are wanting to target them individually. Is there a point where it's too late in the cycle? Like I know we're already seeing auditions for for Christmas stuff, right? Because that commercial stuff gets done sometimes months in advance. Now, it sounds to me like with political it can happen at a moment's notice. So is there a cycle or a window that like, if you don't have your demo and you're not actively marketing by this point, you've missed this cycle. Does that exist? Or is it just get it and go for it because it, it really doesn't ever end anymore? It, it, it matters for sure. Um, so thinking back to the 2022 cycle past May, we probably weren't taking very many demos because everybody already had their voices selected. You okay. know, they had the people that they were going to for the rest of the the cycle. So I would say if you're really ready to dive into the 2024 one, like now is the time to update your demos. Now is the time to coach. Now is the time to really fine tune those skills because you have Q1, maybe part of Q2, but past that, they've already kind of chosen who they're working with. They've already found the voices that align with their campaigns, brand, their candidates, ethos, their sound, their target audiences. Um, yeah, hopefully that helps. I don't know if this is a fair question. And if it's not, you can you can choose to pass. But, you, you know, you mentioned working with a coach, getting your demos updated. Are there recommendations that you guys have? Like, do you suggest your talent? Like, you know, here's a list of a few people that could be a really good coach in this genre, or here are some people that make really good demos in the genre. Does Celia do demos? Are you guys working on that now? Like, I'm just curious where we look for this sort of stuff. Cause I know it's not something that every demo producer does. Yeah. So we don't do demos, but we okay. definitely have some demo partners. I don't know if I'm allowed to say these people's names. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. We, you know, Jay Michael is obviously a big sure. person out there who's been promoting his political demos. Yep. Um, Brandon Perry at Sound Nectar Studios. He does really great political demos. Uh, Dave Walsh, I know, has done a few okay. uh, Democratic-only political yep. demos. So there are definitely resources out there. Um, I would just say do your research just like when you're – taking demo producers for your commercial or your corporate, you know, different people have different styles. Um, and so just choosing the the person who yep. aligns with you um, and your values, I think you can't go wrong there. Um, and then I've, just doing your own research and making sure that it sounds like real spots. And that's yep. just a personal gut check often. Yeah. 
I've heard it said by different people that with political, it's really, it can be really, really difficult to get in. But once you're in, you're in. Is is that true? Is that your experience? I would say that's pretty true. Just like I mentioned, you know, the political sphere is very small. So I have seen people get in um, with one client and then they pass out their names to all of their friends. And then now your one client has snowballed into three, into five, into 10. I mean, it's even happened on my side. I'm in with one agency and they're like, hey, these people are great. They're so fast. They've got this huge range, all this diversity, this, that, and the other thing. And then that one person recommends me to two other people who then recommend me. And then now I have a whole network of additional agencies who are looking to cast voices. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty tightly knit community. Um, so I would say, yeah, once you're in, you're in. I don't necessarily think it's hard to get in if you are good. Um, you know, the barriers to entry don't seem as high as some other ones. Um, as long as you are updated um, with the trends and the deliveries and you know the nuances because it's, you know, you see a lot of the same language being uh, used in all of these different scripts, you know, um, it's this kind of the same verbiage. So if you know how to deliver it, right. um, it's kind of, it becomes mechanical. It, it becomes second nature. Um, you just, you know, know how to say this one line and it's in several scripts. So I suspect that just given the nature of political to begin with, that once you're in, you're in, because if there is a level of vetting that, that goes through, right, there's got to be a level of trust that comes with mm -hmm. knowing I can trust this person not only to do the job, do it well, do it quickly, et cetera, but know, you know, this is not a person that is going to end up dropping skeletons out of a closet that's going to come back and haunt my candidate or whatever. And so I would guess maybe that's that's a factor in it as well. But yeah. so so there's still opportunity, though, would you say 11, 11 billion? 10 billion. 10 billion. 10 billion. That's, you know, whatever. That's a that, there's, a, there's a piece of the pie there. There's there's a piece of the pie there. Well, I, this has been fantastic. And thank you so much for all of the information that you've, you've offered here. Now, I, I'll ask the question, is Celia taking demos at this point for 2024 for the presidential cycle? How does that work if, if somebody was interested in, in finding out more? Yeah, I mean, definitely reach out. My email is aya at celiasegal.com. Um, so if there is a demographic, a category that we need, we could use more voices to fill. It's definitely a conversation. Okay. Um, so yeah, just kind of on a per talent basis, uh, but our doors, our emails are open um, just to just see what you're up to and see what you have to offer and see if there is a way for us to collaborate. Right on. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. So what question didn't I ask? Is there a, a golden nugget of political wisdom that you have that you could drop on us that, that might help us in this this side of our, our journey that I didn't think about? Or what else have you got? One more parting thought for us? Yeah. Um, I would just say consume as much political as you can. Being up to date make such a big difference, even in session, you know, to right. feel like, oh, I am one of your people. Like I am actually yeah. in the know here builds that trust, that credibility factor. Um, but then, yeah, just listening, you know, we consume commercial all the time on, you know, our 
Spotify's and on TV and yep. in all of the places, you know, so specifically um, researching and knowing the trends and hearing what's booking and like, what can you do better? Like, why did they pay this person this amount of money right. to voice this entire campaign? Like, what did they bring to the table? So being able to analyze what's already out there and see oh, is that a read that you can do? Is that something that you can improve upon? Like what, what is your offering? Um, I think that research will go a long way. Right on. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. For anybody that is thinking about exploring the genre, you've given them more than enough to think about to, to potentially get into and, and start pursuing and, and getting their piece of that pie. So I thank you so much for sharing and, and, and I'm grateful to you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was fun. Hopefully... Everybody learned a lot and feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Um, I love politics, so this is a fun genre for me to play in. And I'll make sure that we include links in the show notes for email, Celia's website, all that sort of stuff too. So if anybody wants to, to check it out, uh, that'll be really easy to do. All right, I Well, thank you so much. Thank you. See you guys soon. If you've been thinking at all about political narration, this episode, what Aya just gave in this interview, that was basically a free masterclass. I hope you are taking a lot of notes and paying attention to the things that she said. Make sure that your demo is updated. Make sure that it reflects the current trends. And as with any genre of voiceover, make sure that you are focusing on your acting. Do those things and you might be able to get your piece of that $10 billion pie. If you enjoyed this episode, I'm going to ask you two quick favors. First, would you take a minute to share a picture on your Instagram stories and let me know that you are listening? And please make sure you tag me at Mark Scott. And also, if you enjoyed the episode, if you're learning things from the Everyday Viewpreneur podcast, would you take a moment to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying the show? It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. The Everyday Viewpreneur podcast. Available everywhere fine podcasts are given away for free. Mostly. We think you have a great website, right? Well, make sure you host it at some place that doesn't suck. Hey, it's Brad Newman, fellow VO pro for 28 years and owner of UpperLevelHosting.com. People ask why us, and that's simple. We make it easy, respect your time, save you money, and just make all the magic happen. You don't need to know all the tech stuff when it comes to hosting your website. We got you. Ask around tens of thousands of client interactions later and six years of amazing customer service and not a single negative complaint ever. UpperLevelHosting.com And scene. And that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging in. Thanks for hanging out. Want more Vopreneur goodness? Jump online at Vopreneur.com.